Get in there, Lewis. What a way to do it, mate. What a way to win your seventh world title. Mate, you have got to be proud of that. What an awesome drive. And in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. See, it's interesting because uh, I haven't like popped the intro clip in yet. Obviously, as I record, I record everything first and then do everything else later. But man, the fact that I literally just downloaded it and now I'm just starting to talk about it, and like I, c- I can't wait to just have that and then this is just, oh, it's, it's just gonna feel so nice man it's just gonna feel so nice like when that when that moment happened honestly like um like uh when i was watching it well not live but i was watching it um and like a legit just like a tear just came to my eye man because like when you're watching it i was watching on sky sports f1 obviously and um like they they had they had like he, some moments from like his you know, just like background, like like layered on his visor, and I was just like, "Fuck, you know, man, that's crazy!" Like, it's just such a, it was just such a boss touch. It was, it was just such a boss touch, and just hearing him so emotional on the radio was just amazing. And then he was just like sitting in the car, like for a good minute or so, just Starfree parked up, and it was just, oh, it it was just so good. It, it just felt real good like, to just um to just see that it was really it was real nice um but yeah apart from that hope you're all doing well it's been a hectic last week for me <laughs> um can't tell you lot quite yet because i'm i'm I, I don't know if it's a i don't know if i'm like if i just enjoy being coy or i'm just paranoid about shit maybe it's a bit of both i'm not sure like but it soon come. It will soon. It will soon come. Um, hope. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It will soon. It will soon. It will soon come. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll keep you. I'll keep you guys posted. I'll keep you guys posted on what's going on. But uh, yeah, man. I just got some a lot of stuff going on right now. So it's real. It's real nice. Um, some real good stuff going on. Like uh, yeah. Some some a couple of things to do with the pods. A couple of things to do with my writing. You know what I mean, it's just it's just all it's just all churning right now. So it's, it's all. It's keeping me busy, so uh, you know I can't I can't complain. Um, hectic, a little bit of stress, a lot of anxiety, and a fuck ton of imposter syndrome. But apart from that, it's pretty clean. I'm, I can't complain. It's uh, you get what you ask for, and I've been asking for it for years, so <laughs> so I'll take it. All right, uh, yeah. Well, like I said let's just jump right into the show because uh, I got some stacked. I got some stacked. Um, 
Got a lot of good stuff to talk about here. Uh, got music, life, and two sports. You can guess one of the sports if you really want to. Not hard. <laughs> I'm actually going to start with it. Uh, but yeah, we'll. Uh, I'll keep. I'll keep that under wraps for the for the meantime until we get there. Uh, but yeah, formats before we begin. Email to IG. That's good as well. I'm so. I'm, I'm so close. I'm like. <sighs> I'm just like. Um, what's the word? I'm like. Uh, I'm just hyping myself up, ready to deactivate that Facebook vendor. Honestly, I feel like I don't have much to save, like, when I go through my stuff. Um, I feel like most of the photos I have already on Instagram, so I'm just like, I'm not doing Instagram yet, so I'm just like, might as well just, what's the point of saving them if they're already on uh, Instagram? Because back in the day, most of the stuff I, all of the stuff I used to post, um, you could post literally the exact same thing to Instagram, and it would save in, like, an Instagram folder. This was before Facebook copped Instagram and engulfed it. Um, but, yeah, and uh, and also on Twitter as well. Like, I remember you could you used to be able to post your Twitter, um, post your Instagram photos on Twitter. Obviously, you still can, but it's, they just send you, like, the, instead it's just, like, an Instagram link. But back in the day, it was, it was literally just the photo. Like, you could see the photo on Twitter, you could also see the photo on Instagram, you know what I mean? So... There was no link to it, um, and obviously, once Facebook copped Instagram, it will change from that. Uh, but yeah, I don't feel I, feel I feel like I don't have much to save. Like, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm hyping myself up towards the moment. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, all that. I feel full show notes. Um, I forgot the rest because I just <laughs> I just keep thinking about deleting Facebook. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be such a good moment. Um, and uh, yeah, fuck it. I don't, I don't remember the rest. Let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where Dominic Cummings finally leaves number 10. See, what? This, this is just one of those things, right, that happened, right? And I'm just like, right? And? Because this should, should have happened in May. Like, you, you, d- does anyone not remember Barnard Castle? Nobody remember that? Like, he, he that, that, was, that was legitimately a worse offence than, you know them having bad blood within their own ranks. I could give a fuck about the bad blood in number 10. You lot broke the law in May. He should have been gone then. So to in my, in my mind you're just you're just months you're just months too late on this. So, you know, I don't I don't know, do you want a cookie? Like doesn't matter so anyway, but Happy to see the bald fucker go. Um, a vaccine developed by biotechnology giant Moderna is more than 94% effective at preventing COVID-19. So that's two right now. We've got Pfizer and uh, BioNTech and now Moderna, um, which apparently Dolly Parton, of all people, donate, uh, uh, funded, helped fund Moderna, apparently. Um, so, you know, big up Dolly Parton, I guess. Uh, racism ruins Christmas ads again. Now, uh, this is to do specifically with the Sainsbury's ad, which I actually haven't seen um, and it doesn't really matter if you've seen or not. Um, you know, um, it's it's the same as last year. Um, do you remember last year? Where I was, um, I forgot what I forgot if it was Sainsbury's or Tesco or Asda. You know, one of them, obviously. And uh, it, it, they were just like showing clips of, um, you know, a, a, a Muslim family. You know what I mean? And uh, people were just up in arms about that. It's like, why are they celebrating Christmas? I'm like, why do you care about a Christmas advert? Like, really? Why do you care so much? Why? Why are you so pressed? Like, I don't need to see the Sainsbury's ad to not give a shit. 
Like, I really could not care. I, I could not care. It's an advert. I, I just don't give a shit, right? And I, I guess there was a black family in there from, from what people have told me and people up in arms about it. I, I just don't, I just really, I, I, I just, I don't get why racists are so pressed about a fucking Christmas advert. Do you live for ads? Are you serious? Who lives for ads in 28, 2020? Get over yourself. And it was actually, um, shout out to uh, Vanessa Van Der Pouye. She actually, um, uh, she was cast in a, uh, I think, a Tesco Christmas advert. And, uh, you know, it was her and, you know, a black hubby. You know what I mean? Like, real dark, sorry, a dark-skinned couple. You know what I mean? And it was, it was just one of them vibes. You know what I mean? And the advert, from how I, from what I saw uh, from her posts about it, you know, they had like a, it was, it was similar to one last year. You know what I mean? Like different different people. You know what I mean? Everyone looks different. No, 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 no. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a mum and a son, a you know white wife and husband, mixed race husband, whatever, and then there's Vanessa Van der Pouye and uh, you know just a you know, just a black just a black husband and wife, right? Vibes, cool, calm, right? Again, guys, it's a Christmas ad. Who cares? But let's just do it for the sake of argument, right? And uh, apparently, she's not in it. She's her and a black hubby ain't nowhere to be seen. So um, yeah. I don't know what you want to call that, but um, I know what to call it. Seriously, who gives a fuck about ads, my guy? <laughs> I literally just I literally just wasted two minutes about ads, racism in ads. Come on, uh, Marx Rashford sing. Uh, so, I put sings on my notes. Signs. Come on, Charlie. Uh, signs a uh, a publishing deal uh, to write. I think he's writing books for children, or just um yeah. I think he's writing books for children uh, children's books. So uh. Yeah, big up to Marcus Rashford. He may or may not be uh, part of the uh, show as well. And uh, lastly, Lewis Hamilton is named most influential Black British person by the Powerless 2021. And uh, with that said, let's talk about some Lewis. I mean, yeah, I, I, the, the race itself was amazing in terms of the Turkish Grand Prix. It was, uh, it was hella slippy. Um, there were a lot of comments about like uh, you know just it was like racing on an ice rink, and uh, you know from how many people spun on that. Uh, a particular track was um, not surprising, uh, but I just wanted to read this um, uh, great piece by um, uh, Mr. John Watson, who used to, uh, who who was a former F1 uh, driver from uh, uh, from 1973 to 85, and uh, you know he's been obviously well, well I don't know if it's obvious, but like <laughs> he he's been in the frame since. I mean he quite consistently, uh, you know, I guess talk, uh, I guess a. Uh, you know, pulled in to talk about you know around his era, especially. Um, he was a frequent uh, guest on a um, well, frequent uh, face on uh, the recent Sky Sports uh, F1 documentary series, Race to Perfection. And um, yeah, he wrote this wonderful piece about Lewis and uh, after he won his seventh record equaling seventh world title. And uh, it's called Lewis Hamilton's bravery stood out at ten. What he has done since is extraordinary. Says via the Guardian. Let's just jump right into it because it's an amazing piece. It is impossible to compare drivers across different eras of motor racing. They can only be uh, really judged as of their time. But what I can say without hesitation about Lewis Hamilton now he has secured his 7-4 championship is that he is by a million miles the greatest driver of his generation and you can argue, argue he will go on to be the greatest Formula 1 driver of all time. Until now the greatest for me was Juan, Juan, Juan Manuel Fangio because I was a child of that era and Fangio won 5-4 championships when drivers were being killed, and he did it in with four different manufacturers. That was an exceptional record, no one thought it could be beaten. Then Michael Schumacher came along, took seven, 
uh, matching that did not seem realistic. Now there is Lewis, not only equaling Michael, but in every position to go one better as the most successful driver in F1. They could easily be an 8th and ninth uh, championship, and right now it's hard, it is hard not to picture it because his talent and engineering expertise Mercedes have dom- uh, demonstrated is mind-blowing. No one imagined Lewis would come so far, but the attributes that brought him to these heights have been clear since he was a child. I first became aware of him at all the sport awards in 1995. It was when, he, uh, it was when as a young guy in karting, uh, when he walked up to the McLaren team principal Ron Dennis and said, quote, I want to drive for you one day, unquote. He was a kid who had the courage to walk up to Ron, who was a fearsome figure in some respects, and Lewis was only 10 at the time. It made him stand out. Everything that followed had seemed uh, to bear out this ambition and determination. He has combined it with the natural talent that he has only sharpened over the years and the desire to win that has become such a potent and powerful package. When he started in F1, Lewis unquestionably had the ability in abundance. He had unbelievable speed and and could push it to the very limits, all the things a young guy coming into a top team needed. It made it impossible to f- ignore him in his first season. I'm a huge fan of Fernando Alonso, and he went on. Uh, he went to, he went to McLaren in 2007 as a double world champion. But Lewis was immediately phenomenal. Taking on Alonso showed his fearlessness. If I had a teammate of uh, quality and reputation of Alonso, you'd remain in his shadow until you had established yourself. Lewis just got in the car and he drove. He didn't care. He was determined to do his best. And if the proce- and if in the process he was beating. His teammate, he didn't give a second thought. For Lewis, Alonso was there as a target, the benchmark, and Lewis was out to beat him. And nearly did, by the way. Uh, what is also very impressive, well, he did, um, but uh, obviously lost the championship by, I think it was a point to Kimi Räikkönen, if I remember correctly. Uh, what is also very impressive is that he was growing in, up in public, a daunting task for everyone, anyone. After his first time in 08, he was, uh, it was an era where you had to be when you had to be in the right team at the right time, and by 2012 he was beginning to rebel, to feel the constrictions placed on him by McLaren. Lewis recognised that for him to fulfil further ambitions, he needed more space, more freedom, and that was offered by Mercedes when he joined in 2013. It was a brave move, but Lewis uh, was evolving into his own person. To leave McLaren was a risk, but ultimately a racing driver has to seek out what is best for them. With six titles now for Mercedes, his judgement has been proved to be spot on. What he has done since is extraordinary. He has been in the dominant car, but even then you have to be able to go out and deliver repeatedly, to win, win, win. When you start to win at a level he has, you do not think about anything else. You rock up to a Grand Prix and you think you are going to win. You you believe you are the best? Lewis has proved he is. He has also become a very important role model. Motor racing was regarded as a white person's sport, but Lewis had broken through... That's a weirdly written sentence. I think it's through, broken through, because it says broken though. Um, broken through that. Yeah, it's broken through. And shown that a young man from Stevenage with no history in motorsport can make it. Yeah, what Lewis represents is not just of import to the black community. He is an illustration, illustration to any child that doesn't matter what background uh, or your ethnicity is. What your background or your ethnicity is. If you have a dream and self-belief, then you can get out there and follow it. Perhaps one, perhaps what has given me the most pleasure uh, is how he has made it look easy. It's hard to express quite how good Lewis is because of the control he exhibits. 
In the car, he never looks extended. Some drivers you can see, as soon as they are out of the car, they are mentally and physically wrecked, but Lewis always appears completely composed. This is why he stands at the very top of the sport. A driver uh, might come along and be quicker over a single lap, but that's not what makes you a seven times world champion. It's about doing it metronomically and doing it year in, year out. Uh, it's very, very hard. Yeah, he has done it and Lewis makes it look sublime. So shout out to John Watson for that. And, you know, just a note, guys, you know, he's a white dude, right? He's an old white dude. He has no reason to acknowledge the fact that, you know, um, Lewis is doing this in the prism of being a black person in the world's spotlight as well. Like, I feel like that's... um, that can never be um, that can never be overstated. It can never be overstated for you know people like him, um, people like uh, the Williams sisters. That's kind of why both of their stories, Williams sisters and Lewis Hamilton, for me personally, is one of the two or three technically of the um, of like the some of the greatest uh, sports stories of this millennium. Um, because they do it in sports, they were never, you know, seen to as, you know, um, um, I guess, uh, what do you want to call it, deserved, maybe, um, it's probably the wrong word, but, um, you know, prime to be in, like, it, it, nobody primes, nobody, nobody tells a black kid that you can, that, you know, you could play tennis, you can you can race F one cars, you know. What I mean, for 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 you know black kids, I'll, I'll stick it to the UK. You know, what I mean, it's it's football, cricket. You know, maybe um, in some in some circles, um, uh, basketball, of course. Like what else? Like what was it? Rugby, I guess. Yeah, as well. You know, if you're if you're a big boy, you know, what I mean, rugby's always there as well. Um, so that's what what four. I don't, I don't see any black snooker players, darts players, uh, what other sports you can throw out there. Um, obviously, obviously, athletics, running, that's, that's obviously one. Um, that's definitely one. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot of, that, a lot of black people in, the, in athletics and, F1 and, uh, and track and field. Um, swimming, not really. Like, you know what I mean? It's, you're, you're told a lot of slim, you're told you're, you, 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 I, don't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, you know, um, there's a matter of discouragement, because, you know, I played tennis, you know, for, for a brief moment, I, I played tennis, I, I got lessons at one point, you know what I mean, I wasn't great, I was, you know, I was, I was half decent, you know what I mean, I'd get around the court, you know what I mean, but I could, I, I could never, I don't know, I didn't really have the strength for the, for like smacking a ball, you know what I mean, with actual force to actually, you know, direction it anywhere I wanted to go, you know what I mean, I'd literally just like, whack it and just hope it lands somewhere um, in a decent position um you know i was half decent at badminton uh one point but you know that's uh, there you go that's another one right <laughs> you're not expected to play these sports right um but lewis hamilton had a a drive for it you know and he, and he went for it and you know, maybe, 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 right? And I don't want to. I don't want to say he's like the own him and the Hamilton family. You know, his uh, brother Nicholas is a uh, right uh, drives in the British touring cars, right? 
Um, and he sets a, a, a completely different precedent as well um, as, as Nicholas Hamilton. Um, uh, but, you know, but I, I, I don't want to say that, like, you know, the Hamilton family is like the only black family that has, you know, has tried motorsport. Maybe there, maybe there are plenty others, but, you know, they just haven't gone there. You know what I mean? Maybe they just haven't gotten there. So to think about that, to think about there's potentially others that have tried and maybe failed or whatever. You know what I mean? I tried several sports across my, you know, across my childhood years, teenage years. Half decent at some, crap at others. You know what I mean? But, you know, I just didn't go for it. I didn't have the drive for it, right? Pun intended, right? But Lewis did. And now he's the greatest of all time in it. Like that, you can't, you can't under, you can't overstate that. You literally can't overstate that. You can, you can, you can maybe overstate it, right? If he, if he was like a half decent driver, right? And he was, you know, he had a decent career, got a couple of wins in there, you know what I mean? Um, you know, a couple of lucky wins or whatever, or just, you know, just, just being there, whatever, right? But the guy is the greatest of all time in the sport. And it's the same with, you know, Serena Williams and, and Venus in, in a way as well. Right? It, it, those two. Th- those two stories, technically three, fascinate me beyond belief. Because it's not just the fact that they made it to the pros. Or they made it to the pinnacle of their respective uh, sports. But they are the greatest names in those sports they're the greatest of their generation and arguably the greatest of all time in their sports that actually astounds me and it will forever astound me and you know it will give me and it gives me personally a a high level of respect for those for those three you know i mean there's there's different there's there's uh, there's a lot of stories i feel like lewis hasn't told yet you know uh, growing up as a black kid in motorsport, uh, you know, we've heard a few, we've heard a few, I've heard a few, um, but I feel like the full picture has not been painted yet in terms of how difficult it was to get up there, how high that mountain must have seemed at some point, but anyway, sentimentality over with, um, shout out to Lewis, honestly, like, that's, um, forever to go to me, forever to go to me. So we hop into music, and uh, I found this great little profile, little profile on a for, by uh, Olivia Ovenden, Ovenden, <laughs> Jesus, trip that one up, uh, Olivia Ovenden uh, by Esquire, um, and it's all about a uh, British singer songwriter. Did I say British? British singer songwriter Labyrinth, um, and it's kind of fascinating me just because because. I remember Labyrinth, uh, fucking hell, I remember Labyrinth, like, you know, in twenty in early 2010s, like, 10 years ago, and the, the, the guy was, like, I was next up, right, in terms of, like, production, artistry, like, he had a sound that was just unlike any other, I mean, Electronic Earth slapped to me, I haven't listened to it recently, but, um, you know, at, at the time, it was crazy to me, like, a thin earthquake, a bit, oh, that's, that song banged. There was actually a remix I found, like, on SoundCloud that was actually crazy, like, I wish I could find that, I'll, I'll probably never be able to find it, but 
Jeez, that shit slept. Um, but yeah, uh, re- obviously, years after, and for most of the decade that just passed, he was kind of just uh, under the radar. Just never really heard from him again. Me personally, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I never really heard from him again. And then uh, he suddenly popped up um, with a. Uh, he-, he now has an Emmy. Um, I think he also has a. Uh, what is he has the uh, the uh, Ivan Novello Award as well. Um, uh, obviously, got that recently. Uh, talked about on the show briefly. And, uh, you know, did the soundtrack to the HBO show Euphoria, and obviously dropped an album last year. Uh, so, you know, he's back. He's fully back. And uh, I just found this little interview, and I just found it mad fascinating. And uh, there is a... It's called... Um, it's called Labyrinth Comes In Again. Uh, but there's a subheading um, uh, called uh, What Happened to Labyrinth. And I'm just going to start there, because uh, there's a there's a whole stuff about um, the Imagine video <laughs> um, at the start, and I, I, you know, we don't need to get into that, so I just wanted to get into the, the meat of this, and uh, yeah, there's a little subhead, just going, what happened to everyone, and I'll just start there, because um, I, just, I just really want to know what, what happened to him. Um, Google poses this question via autofill when you type Timothy Lee McKenzie's alter ego um, into the search engine. Oh, <laughs> oh Google, no. <laughs> Uh, I type. I said. I said the. I said the dreaded name. And my my freaking uh, assistant came up and just throw me out of whack. Anyway, let me find it again. All right, cool. Uh uh-uh, uh. Poses this question by autofill when you type Timothy Lee McKenzie's alter ego into the search engine, and it is one that our uh, discussion naturally arrives at. Ten years ago, the musician dominated the charts and picked up awards for his releases alongside Tiny Temper. Singles including Pass Out, Frisky and Earthquake put him at the forefront of a scene where artists like Plan B, Tinji Strider and Example made music which bridged the gap between pop, grime and rap. And I'd like to add electronic uh, EDM in there as well. Because uh, there was a lot of it. Electro- I mean, yeah, I was called Electronica for fuck's sake. And uh, Example had a lot, of, um, a lot of EDM elements in his music. Uh, the success was a strange experience for someone who had grown who had grown up uh, messing around with production software at home and never cared much about using uh, using music to make money. Abrinth grew up in Hackney, one of nine kids in a family with music at his soul. Uh, the siblings who formed a band together called Mac Nine had the run of the house. Downstairs, my, quote downstairs, my brother had an MPC controller, and another brother had drum set. Uh, had a drum set so his friends would uh, bring over their guitars he says upstairs my sister had their friends singing r&b or gospel songs uh, and worked working out harmonies i don't know how many uh, i don't know how my mum dealt with it because i can't be around that much noise when i make and i make music unquote uh, despite his very musical upbringing he didn't dream of being an artist when he says and says he was quote the worst musician in his family unquote Instead of instead spending his time drawing pictures and making sculptures, quote, Then one day my older brother started using his drum machine and I thought, fucking hell, this feels right, unquote. Labyrinth uh, became part of a community of musicians uploading their music to MySpace. Ah, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated about the MySpace generation. I'm so fascinated by them. Because, I, I, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, I was, well, how old was I then, like 10? Like, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't exactly in it. Uh, I didn't have MySpace anyway. Uh, but I just find that generation so funny, you know, because it wasn't just him. It was like, you know, uh, Mac Miller, Kendrick in a, in a way, J. Cole, um, uh, uh, um, fucking, uh, uh, I think Adele, like, you know, there, there was other, there were so many. I, I need a documentary series on the MySpace generation. So fascinating. Anyway, 
uh, with his friends at uh, at performing art schools taking his demos uh, to record labels, uh, to record labels to stump for him. And in 2009, he was offered a deal with EMI, quote, At the time, a lot of grime artists were trying to penetrate the pop scene, making stuff like wearing my Rolex and losing their essence. Uh, and losing their essence, he says. I was already working on Pass Out because I wanted to make a grime song that could be played at the clubs, unquote. Though, expecta- though expectations weren't high, the 2010 track, he, which he produced for Tiny Temple and also appeared on, went to number one within a week and won both a Brit Award and a Nivel Novello. So he's got several. Ooh, big ups. At the time, that must be a very full circle moment to get an Ivan Novello now, um, this year, and Ivan Novello back then. Must be That must be mad full circle vibes. Must feel good. At the time, Labyrinth was sleeping on a broken mattress in the smallest room of a house he shared with two friends. Quote, my bum used to touch the floor, he laughs. It wasn't that I wasn't making money, I just wasn't focused on it. Unquote. Passed out, pass out would have, uh, should have given him the confidence to make whatever music he wanted, but the scene at the time was a tug of war between black eyes and predominantly white, out of touch executives, and the compromise resulted in a lot of music that hasn't aged particularly well. That's a, excuse me, that's a real thing. Like that, that's that's a real. Po- excuse me, I, I just said a cup of tea, so it's all coming back up. Um, that's a real thing, like back then. If you if you listen to a lot of the stuff, then um, you, you know I, I find I find Discovery has aged well for me personally. I find it has. Um, it may be of the time, but I feel like it was a a distant precursor to something like Astro World. Like I, I generally think that um, you know the spatial elements and stuff like Intro, Wonder Man, like Invincible, like <laughs> uh, the piano led stuff on stuff like Invincible. Uh, written in the stars, right? Maybe something like Passed Out and Frisky have have an age well, but the rest of the album I think has honestly. Um, what's the one with the Emily Sande? Um, you know that one as well. I think uh, Let Go. I think it's called. I think the whole. I think a lot of the albums age well. Um, but you know, for stuff like you know, Where Am My Rolex? Nobody listens to that no more. Um, Tinji Strider. My gosh, where's that guy been? That's another. That's another profile I'd like. And where's Tinji Strider been these days? Um, end dubs fuck oh that did not age well um yeah it's a it's a genuine thing there that was a genuine thing that i think deserves a lot more um a lot more coverage around that time especially um all right let's continue on after releasing the single uh, let the sunshine oh oof another one <laughs> a song that his grime friend suggested he should go play to simon cowell uh obviously we know simon cowell is uh but put but powerful music figures simultaneously de- deemed it deemed as too urban. <laughs> let the guys, if you haven't listened to "Let the Sunshine," please go listen to it and answer me if if it's too urban to you. <laughs> Fucking hell! Oh my gosh, this is why I can't. This is why if I ever wanted to do music, it'd have to be like purely from an independent background because like I can't be dealing with people like this. Like, even in film, like I, I just, I just feel like it's gonna happen in film someday for me, and I'm just gonna be like, I just can't fuck with you, my guy. I'd rather do this on the smallest budget possible. Like you are jarring me. Um, let the sunshine too urban. Oh, that's funny. Absolute comedy. Anyway, it felt impossible to please everyone. Quote: I always felt like I never had a home. He says of the liminal, uh, liminal space uh, he occupied in the music industry. 
with uh, fire in his belly, he wrote Earthquake to prove uh, he can make another pass out. Earthquake was made for the sticky dance floors of student clubs, and they're always fucking sticky. Hate sticky dance floors. St- why are they so sticky? I always have that question for myself. I'm like, why are they so sticky? Ugh, creeps me out. Um, <laughs> the sci-fi introduction uh, that gives way to a seismic baseline, and which, like predecessor Pass Out, has a frenzied energy uh, to it that made people want to jump. And I literally did jump to that song. Uh, in clubs, actually. Um, I played it to Mr. Jam, who was like, are you ready? Uh, and only years later, I realised what he meant. Unquote. Labyrinth was not ready. Not for the tour of Oceana clubs. Ugh, Oceana, yeah? <laughs> Big up Oceana. <laughs> Oceana nightclubs here. <laughs> student universities. <laughs> Where I act like it's Chaser Stakes and Kano commanding the stage because they'd been doing it for years. Or for the stylists who dressed him in mad clothes. Or for the sense that he was suddenly uh, supposed to be a pre brack a pre-packaged brand. Oh, I accidentally fit and went to an ad. Labyrinth recently took a personality test which told him he was the mediator, meaning that he feels the need to please people. When he became famous, the anxieties that had plagued his early career, feeling that he wasn't sure what to say, or that it would come out right, uh, came tumbling back in. Earthquake was a success. The, fa- the phrase, Labyrinth come in, Labyrinth come in, uh, I had to do it. I delivered at the opening of the track in a robotic voice is still something uh, that people parrot back to him before uh, letting him inside. But assessing, <laughs> oh, imagine that. <laughs> imagine your labyrinth and someone just goes labyrinth. Come in. <laughs> That's so corny. <laughs> That's so corny. But I can I can see why people would have the urge to do that because I have a big urge to do that if I know. Um, but assessing it retrospectively is complicated. The early orts. Um, is it? Is that how it's spelled? A U G H T S. Is that how you spell horse? Hmm. Interesting. Um, began. I, I, I always thought it was the O U. I guess O U T H G H S. I don't know. Uh, the early horse began with the groundbreaking grime ice, uh, of uh, uh, of artists like Wiley and Dizzy Rascal, but soon that gave that soon gave way to the kind of cheesy fusion pop and rap. It was shit, as Labyrinth says, without pause. Shit music is music that isn't honest with itself. And that music was lying. People, uh, unquote, people at predominantly white record labels were trying to package up these artists in the same way they were selling the music of X Factor winners. Big facts. Whereas uh, rap and grime artist music, uh, grime music, have bloomed uh, in the UK in recent years with artists like Stormzy and Dave harnessing the internet to breathe powerful new energy into the music industry. Back then, it felt like a lot of black eyes had to play a game that what they weren't in control of. And were destined to lose. That's a big facts again. There's a lot of big facts on this one. A lot of big facts. Quote, a lot of the label guys were old white men thinking, would my daughter listen to this, Labyrinth says. Now that we have social media, you're getting Stormzy able uh, to be unfiltered. And the audience showed that's what they wanted in the first place, unquote. Earthquake in his first solo album, Electronic Earth, put him in that grey area between pop and rap music. But when trying to write a follow-up, and capitalise on the acclaim he'd earned. Labyrinth found himself pulled in different directions trying to please everyone. He was burnt out from the touring and his anxiety was mounting, and he knew he needed to stop. Quote, Everything slowed down after that. Live performances, radio plays, he says. It challenged my ego because I was famous, and if I wanted to go figure my shit out, that stuff... If I wanted to go figure, figure my shit out, that stuff was going to go away. Do I leave the these beautiful things, these linens, this furry jacket, but I had to let it go, unquote. 
One evening, several years later, Labyrinth found himself at a party, at a party in Los Angeles hosted by an executive of Maverick Records, the sort of party where people like Paul McCartney, Moby, Bono, and Jimmy Iovine are in attendance, quote, It was basically like Madame Tussauds in one room, he laughs. And I'm just a little labyrinth with my glasses of red, with my glass of red wine and ghetto clothes because I was a nobody there. Unquote. Someone from the label announced a special performance from an upcoming from an upcoming artist uh, that everyone had to hear, and then said his name. After splurring out some of his wine, he sat down at the piano and played them "Jealous," a beautifully sparse love ballad, which he left the entire room wiping tears from their eyes. Everyone wanted to know who he was or whether they could sign him, unaware of the career he had already built. By this time he had split from his management team and had been going back and forth between Los Angeles and London to make music. He had been writing for artists including The Weeknd, uh, I actually spelled The Weeknd, <laughs> uh, The Weeknd, Noah Cyrus and Sia, cementing his status as a writer and producer in Hollywood. Starting again in a new town was made more appealing by how his recent attempts at making new music had been received back in UK, with fans, un- uh, fans unsure how to react to the guy who made Earthquake now swerving names to soulful ballads. He remembers being excited about, uh, about his new music being played on BBC Radio 1 back in 2014, only to tune into the presenter saying it was, quote, a bit dreary. <laughs> Fucking hell. The British press too seemed uninterested in his attempts at a rebrand and kept calling him Rapper Labyrinth in headlines when announcing that he was making music which clearly wasn't rap. Quote, if you call Jealous a rap song, are you saying to the audience that are reading an article and seeing a black guy that they don't want to listen to this? I think I've read that weirdly. And seeing a black guy that they that they don't want to listen to this. I don't know. I don't know if that's weird to me or just you guys. But <laughs> if it's weird to you, it's weird to me. Uh, unquote. He says with a weary frustration, quote, because if they don't listen to rap, they won't want to listen to it. These sentiments have been echoed by singer-songwriter Billie Eilish, who made the point that if she were uh, if she were a black artist, her music would have probably be would probably be called rap, but because she is white, it is allowed to be called uh, classed as pop music. As the Grammy Awards have proven time and time again, black music is often uh, judged in a separate urban group. Urban group. <laughs> Fucking urban. Uh, allowed to be celebrated in its own category, but not permitted to spread its wings in other genres. Quote, Lionel Richie is a pop artist, he says, but in order to become a pop star as a black artist, you have to reach legendary status. You have to be Beyonce or Rihanna. Oh, so many gems being dropped on this one. Ugh, I know I'm, I'm I'm running over in terms of time, but fuck, so much gems in here. Um, you know what? I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there because um, I think that's a great finish to it. Um, the rest of the, the rest of the piece talks about obviously he's uh, uh, working with Kanye West, I think. Well, he says West, so I'm assuming Kanye West uh, 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 doing the uh, Euphoria soundtrack. And uh, just, um, you know, general uh, quotes like, uh, actually, this one's good. The freedom to make whatever music he wants had uh, has been hard won, especially as a black artist. Quote, if I'm asked to do what I, if I'm asked what I do in a cab and I uh, and say I'm a musician, they will say hip hop or R&B. And I think, shit, did my face say that's all I could do? I can make classical music if I want. Uh, but the world has given you an idea of what music I make. Bars, 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 bars. So... Um, shout out to Labyrinth on that. I'm I'm gonna finish abruptly on that one because Jesus Christ, there's so many gems on this. So uh, give that a read, guys, for the rest of it because there are some absolute heaters on that one. Uh, I'm glad I read that. And uh, shout out to Labyrinth for you know just starting again basically because that shit is hard to do. 
And I feel like there's, I feel like that'll be really hard to just like throw everything away and literally restart somewhere else, and you know just and, and just reinvent yourself as a, as an artist. I feel like that's a real tough thing to do, and um, you know all the all the plaudits for him to do it for for doing that. Um, and you know the fact that he didn't even get the support back in his own own country was just, I mean that would. Sc- that would jar the fuck out of me, like, if that, if that happened. Um, so, you know, throughout all that, big ups for coming back bit bigger and better, man, and stronger, because that must have been real hard to do. So, uh, shout out to Labyrinth. So we jump on to life, um, and this is kind of film and TV, but it's... it's I, I can't say it's life. It's about the arts. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of both. Uh, but I'm just going to list it as uh, life. Um, because it has to obviously do with the exit as well. Um, not only has Corona um, severely kneecapped um, the arts. I feel like Corona, right, has has done to the arts what um, the exit was going to do to the arts in the space of three years. <laughs> I feel like it's just cut out the middleman. It's just like, fuck it, let's just put a bullet in the knee already. Um, and, uh, and fuck, we haven't even left yet, we haven't even left yet, that's the most depressing thing about this, we haven't even left, and it's, and, oh, so, oh, oh, just, it, it's such a bad taste in my mouth, um, but this is, a uh, shout out to Landry Bakari, I'm gonna have to get him on the show someday, man, I'm gonna have to DM him to get him on the show, because he just delivers some heaters every, every other week, every other week, I, every time I just see him, I'm just like, you know, scaring through, you know, my, my, my places to look for news. And they, and his name just keeps popping up, dropping heat, dropping some boss research. And uh, yeah, man, so this is an arts after the exit study uh, warns of a two-year cultural hiatus in the UK. A cult- What the fuck is a cultural hiatus? That sounds ominous as shit. Um, so shout out to Leonard Bukhari on this one. Let's just jump right into this. Uh, cultural organisations in the UK could face a two-year artistic hiatus triggered by the exit um, in which they become more inward-looking and less international, according to a report on the consequences of leaving the EU. He asked after the exit study by the University of Manchester, and uh, funny enough, I mentioned the University of Manchester, there's actually a, um, uh, they're actually uh, being, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Uh, they were in the news recently um, because I think their security, one of their security detail, uh, racially profiled one of their students. I, I, could, I easily could have dipped into that, but um, I, sh- I should have put it in a week where, to be honest, but I, uh, I totally um, I forgot to do it after a couple of days. But anyway, just interesting that you mentioned University of Manchester, just reminded me. Uh, predicts that UK that UK cultural organisations will be less likely to commission European eyes due to uncertainty over any exit deal and possible COVID-19 restrictions. Okay, so this is more about, um, you know, booking European um, artists in, I guess, music, theatre, whatever, um, which is kind of interesting, actually, to think about. Um, like, thinking about how uh, many uh, European artists come through here to do work, like, you know, comedians, just comedians, right? Think about that. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of them, you know, have to place residence here. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot. You know, there's a lot that there's a lot of back and forth in that front uh, for a British artist going to the going to Europe as well. 
Uh, anyway, continuing on, Dr. Charlotte Fauchier, or Foucher, um, who oversaw the research, said the fear was that a lack of uh, clarity on insurance, visas, and travel restrictions paired with potential complications caused by the global pandemic would make European collaborations too risky. Quote, some of the institutions told me they haven't made plans with European artists because they cannot afford to plan something and then have to change it according to whatever legislation might come in December or January, she said. There's too much uncertainty. And I feel like this is something that could have easily been talked about three years ago. I genuinely think that. I may have. I may have, like, when I was on, when I was at student radio. I may have literally talked about something of this nature. Where, like, you, you, where, when there's no deal, you don't know, <clears throat> you, excuse me, you don't know what's happening. You just don't know. And it leaves people in the dark. And people are still in the dark. We're leaving officially in the 1st of January. And we still don't know what's going on. Like, like what, what, what excuse is there possibly? How much time do you need? Anyway, I'm not I'm trying to get in my soapbox. Let's just continue. The report also predicted that um, exit voting towns in England. Oh, this is great. Would take the hardest arts hit once Britain leaves Europe. You know what? Karma. I'm sorry. I, I'm not supposed to be like, you know, obviously passionate to the arts here. Um, but I'm on, I just want to switch lanes. And just say karma on that front. I, I just, I just find that a bit of karma. I, you know, I mean, it's, I just, I, I, ouch. You know, what I mean, it, uh, damn, <laughs> damn, son. <laughs> Unfortunate. Um, anyway, uh, we take the hardest hit of one sprint in Europe, uh, with uh, millions in cultural funding from EU no longer flowing to regional institutions. Damn, I forgot about that as well. EU funding to regional institutions. Yep. Mm-hmm. A lot of partnerships on that front. Um, it's not just stuff like BFI in that. There's a lot of regional ones as well. Um, in 2018, research by Arts Council England estimated that England would lose out uh, up to £40 million in cultural funding a year because of the exit. After more than 1,300 artistic and cultural projects were awarded at least £345 million in EU funding between 2007 and 2016. Uh, Foucher looked at Stoke-on-Trent, Great Yarmouth and Middlesbrough as examples of towns which have benefited uh, from EU arts funding, but voted to leave Europe. Uh, she said arts leaders in the areas... Uh, there's, there's a poetry to that, honestly. There's a, there's a dark poetry to that. I just have to... You have to chuckle. Um, she said arts leaders in the areas would be forced to look uh, to their local councils for funds, but that culture was not seen as a priority, with the UK's local authorities already spending less on the arts than any other European country. She said, quote... It's very easy for a council to withdraw support for culture, which is something that they couldn't do for schools or public transport. So with the impact of COVID-19, as well as, uh, as well, they think the arts, uh, as well, they think the arts is going to be one of the sectors to be hit by underfunding, unquote. Foucher says that medium-sized UK organisations that want to have European partnerships will be hit the hardest because they have traditionally been the target of schemes like Creative Europe. In February, the UK government announced in its EU negotiation mandate that it would not be seeking to participate in the next Creative Europe programme, which would distribute 1.46 billion euros, which is about 1.3 billion pounds, to cultural projects. He said, quote, medium-sized institutions feel that the diverse offer 
that they have been they, they have been offered uh, they have been able to put up might be compromised by Britain leaving the EU because for them it's more money to be able to develop partnerships unquote Foucher also uh, found artistic directors and artist leaders arts leaders who were trying to develop new links with the EU despite the exit looming with partnerships between e- uh, European institutions being considered as a way to access EU funds. It sounds so desperate to me. It's so depressing, you know what I mean? Just, like, the fact that they have to, like, find a way around things. And, you know, they can't in some ways. Like, why would you? Why would you go into a deal with anybody in the UK right now if you're a European uh, arts entity? Like, why would you? Because it's so uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen to the EU in general. And, well, not the EU, um... The relation, the UK relationship with the EU in general, and you know, like like I said at the start, you know, visas, transport, all that kind of stuff. It's 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 pertinent. It's pertinent. Um, it's it's hella important. As well as new partnerships, other ways to continue getting EU funds, including opening sister companies abroad, cooperation at the mu- uh, municipal level uh, between twin town, twine towns and cities, uh, for example, and uh, bilateral government schemes. Okay, so you know, with that said, you know, there's, there's there's some there's some stuff you can do here. There's some literally, um, <laughs> excuse me, literally, um, uh, uh, poo in what I just said about how, um, how hard they have to swerve in in, uh, <laughs> in trying to sort out stuff. But I feel like sister companies, you know, would work. Um, I don't I don't know how again how feasible that would be. Um. Especially, you know, again, once we've leave leave the EU, literally everything is everything. Oh, let me start again. Everything is affected by leaving the EU. Uh, setting up business, Pff, fuck knows, bruv. <laughs> Don't ask me. Do not ask me, man. I had no fucking idea how 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 that's gonna work. You know I mean, it's just crazy to think about. Um, so just thinking about that cultural hiatus, like, going back to that, that term, a cultural hiatus, like, I, I don't think we realise how, like, um, how important, um, and how multi-ethnic, multinational, um, some relationships are in terms of the arts, like, when you go watch something, like a, a, a film, or TV show or theatrical piece or you know I mean just local show whatever like I I don't think people actually understand like how deep roots go in terms of relationships from not just like regional uh, and you know not even that right not even that not even the end product just the fact that entities exist like regional arts companies exist to create shows or to create um you know round here um, in my my end, we have stuff like um, the Lee Art Trail, um, which is basically just like a, just like a, uh, like a, a you know, a, 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 what's it, what, do you, what do you want to call it? Um, uh, like a, like a like a stop like a a conveyor belt of just like stuff. So like you go you can go round the you can go round the 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 town, and like you know uh, every every stop has something different. Um, you know, just like local art pieces, whatever, like, and you, you just, you, it's just a reason to go, come to Lee, and, you know, just see the place, and obviously look at some good art as well, you know what I mean, it's just, it's just stuff like that, like, small stuff like that, even small stuff like that, that may not be happening, I don't know, 
I, I really don't know. Um, I'm not invested in it personally, but you know, it, it's invested. It, it brings in a lot of local money, um, uh, money for the local uh, community. So that's just one. Think about the whole of the UK. Like, it's just, it's just unfounded to me. But um, you know. The arse is always in demand in some fashion, so um, I always remain kind of hopeful. Um, and there was a talk I was going to deliver on uh, the fact that I saw Mangrove recently, but um, for the sake of time, I'll just uh, leave it for another time because uh, I've got four more. <laughs> There's four more small axe films to talk about, so uh, uh, maybe I'll leave it till uh, till I see all five, and uh, we'll just uh, we'll just leave it at that. Hopefully, the arse can recover and uh, evolve in some fashion. And we finish on the last segment, which is sports. And we have to talk about a bit of Marcus Rashford, ladies and gentlemen, and the fact that he absolutely dunked on uh, Mail on Sunday. Gotta love it. Love to see it. Um, so I found this little piece by uh, Jonathan Liu um, via The Guardian here. And I just, I just found it so, so tasty. So tasty. So let me get, let me just get the tweet in, actually, just, just right quick, because this is embedded in the middle. So and if, if you guys, if you haven't seen the tweet... Um, I'll just I'll just read out for you. So um, uh, Mark Strashford, um, just uh, on Twitter, he uh, delivers a screenshot of uh, the Daily Mail, um, or the Mail on Sunday. Technically, gives a fuck. Um, it's all shit. Um, and the headline goes: What a result! Campaigning football star Marcus Rashford um, has bought five luxury homes worth more than two million pounds. And uh, Marcus uh, Rashford delivers a tweet uh, with that screenshot going, Okay, so let's address this. I'm 23. I came from little. I need to protect not just my future, but my family's too. To do that, I made a decision at the beg of 2020 to start investing more in property. Please don't run stories like this alongside refs to campaigning. Um, So with that said, there's a primer. Let's just get into a a loose article here because I just found it. Just, just nice, just, just nice. I, lo- I love it when uh, someone just fucking dunks on fucking Daily Mail. Gotta love it. Uh, perhaps Marcus Rashford knew all along that this uh, was how it might all play out. Or perhaps he will have realised at some point on the journey that there will ultimately be a price to pay for putting this many important noses out of joint, for doing so fearlessly and un- unpolog- unapologetically, for making too much of a difference. After all, you don't get to embarrass a conservative government for free. And on Sunday, Rashford would discover the real consequences of speaking truth to power. Quote, school meals, Marcus, uh, school meals, Marcus, two million homes, uh, two million homes empire, read the headline in the mail on Sunday, referring to five properties recently purchased by the Manchester United forward in Cheshire. The campaigning football star, we, we were told, had taken out mortgages from the Queen's Bank Counts uh, or coots uh, for all five properties. Unquote. Meanwhile, the authors of the article seem particularly keen to inform readers that Rashford had has begun the process of trademarking his name in the U.S. and that his own house is worth 1.85 million and has six bedrooms. The first thing to say that virtually none of this is really anyone's business. And perhaps, given the gravity of everything else going on in the world now, the, the temptation will be to leave it at that. To sigh a little sigh, chuckle a little chuckle at the frivolousness of it all, and say something trite about tomorrow's fish and chip paper. 
but read uh, but read between the carefully arranged lines and something more pernicious. Is it pernicious how you say that? I think I've said that right. Um, and sinister is clearly taking place. A shot across the bows, a reducer challenge, a declaration of hostilities, the first severed thumb in the post. There remains a curiously quaint view within journalism that we should refrain from criticising our, our own industry, a trope roughly anal- analogous, analogous? I think it's analogous, uh, to quote, trying to get a fellow pro sent off, unquote. The reality, of course, is that this is a convenient veneer of bullshit dreamed up by those who most benefit from bad journalism being allowed to flourish. Big ups. Get on with this. I love this fucking paragraph right here. Let me continue right quick. Uh, and of course, there's plenty of bad journalism about. Just so, just as there is bad art, bad law, bad football, bad plumbing. Oh, bad plumbing. Uh, what we were so, what we so imperfectly describe as the media is better understood as a marketplace of competing voices. Many of you, I like to think, are here because we're not, uh, because we're not the male. Doubtless, the reverse is also true. The Mail on Sunday article isn't bad journalism, in in the sense that it is is brilliantly effective at conveying what it wants. For amid the apparent sobriety of the article, its accretion of various random facts, uh, has one here saying, it has smart kitchen and dining area at Rashford who came from humble beginnings on a council estate, dot dot dot. Residents include veteran Coronation Street actor William Roche, dot dot dot. Okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, there is an awful, there's an awful craft at work, a loathing so artfully sheathed you would barely know it's there. Ah, oh, oh, there's so much, there's so many, there's so many bars on this, so many bars. Um, the juxtaposition of School Mills Rashford with the two million homes empire, the dog whistle reference. There it is. I was waiting for the term, the dog whistle reference <laughs> to the campaigning football star. Uh, the early mention of the player's age, 23, the picture of Rashford himself frowning in a dark hoodie. Everything here is code, bound up in motifs and subtext. The mood music of sophisticated right-wing distaste. Come on, Jonathan, get on them. Get, step on their fucking necks. It's entitled nappy-grabbing, shit-hurling rage, dressed up in sensible clothes and babbling vaguely about property prices. Come on, Jonathan. Come on. This is bars. Um, this is this is like this is like listening to Black Thor just fucking freestyle. There's so many bars. Um, no miss bar. <laughs> All heat. This is why it's pointless attempting to engage with the internal logic of the piece, or indeed much of the criticism of Rashford since he stepped up in his stepped up his campaign during the summer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trying to extract any sort of cognate argument or legible worldview. Here is the equivalent of trying to spot secret messages in your morning cereal. An example, on page 123 on the very same newspaper is a financial columnist urging Chancellor Rishi Sunak to resist reforming capital gains tax on the basis that it would, quote, deter wannabe landlords, unquote. Yes, the irony feels cussedly satisfying, but hypocrisy in the uh, many ways that least important of the... in many ways, the least important of the misdemeanors here. Because if you take a broader view, the Mail on Sunday story is simply the latest escalation of the growing Stop Rashford movement, one begun by right-wing pundits and conservative MPs on Twitter in recent weeks. Last month's the Guido Fawkes website sardonically 
Is that you saying? I assume that's what you saying. Sardonically praise Rashford's quote ability to eloquently and magnanimously ooh, big word uh, oppose verbal attacks on Tory MPs just minutes after the end of a football match. Unquote. The subtext here that a 23-year-old uh, footballer <laughs> that a 23-year-old footballer should not habitually be capable of any of these traits is familiar enough. And in a way, Rashford is the populist right's worst nightmare. A young black working class campaigner who bases his appeal not on the culture not on culture war or tribal loyalty or fiery incentive but on unity consensus the common ground he is a political campaigner who rejects party politics that rejects the idea that conflict and progress are the same thing indeed refuses to acknowledge that there is anything remotely contentious or left-leaning about wanting hungry children fed and coincidence he gets things done <sighs> so many bars let me just finish up let me just finish off and i'll get to that i'll just get to that bar uh, that one i want to get back to i'll put a pin in it small wonder this country's uh, conservative establishment has come to see rashford not as a fleeting irritation but as an existential threat <laughs> oh. A man cheerfully exposing not just the worst privations, uh, uh, yeah, privations uh, of government austerity, but our own snide and bickering political culture. Small wonder his personal finances and lifestyle choices are now considered fair game. If Rashford is allowed to take, is allowed to succeed, who else might follow him in his wake? Rashford did not choose this fight, but with unerring. I think it's unerring or unerring precision and depressing and a depressing alacrity. Um, it has chosen him. Perhaps there's something deeply depressing in the treatment of this descent, uh, decent, uh, sorry, decent, <coughs> decent and principled man by a section of the media that has always thrived on conflict. The vindictive urge to tear down, to expose, to disgrace. Rashford, you suspect, would see it as. What's up with these words, man? Incontrovertible, incontrovertible, incontrovertible proof. Fucking hell, man. Uh, That he is winning. And I stumble to the finish line. Jesus Christ. Guys, so many bars on here. So many bars on this whole episode. I'm actually guessed. Um, But literally, literally, get to that that, that second to last paragraph. Let me just repeat the the bit I want to get to. Um, rejects the idea that conflict and progress are the same thing and indeed refuse to acknowledge that there's anything remotely contentious or left-leaning about wanting hungry children fed. Isn't that why exactly the thing I said a couple of weeks ago when when I was talking about the government specifically and getting all hot and bothered about it are the fact that we that the government themselves spent two months bickering over children being fed. Waste of time. This is exactly why Rashford is an absolute fucking G and is a man of the year in a lot of ways for the, for, for the shit he's doing. The fact that he's doing just the simplest shit, feeding the use. What the fuck is partisan about that? What the fuck can you... How can you possibly politicise that? And you know what? He's, he's for a 23-year-old, and you know, I'm 24, I don't know how I'd react to being shat on by right-wing media, I would probably um, want to test them a fuck ton. And, you know, and I'm well-read. I completely understand the dog-whistle bullshit that, you know, right-wing media like the Mail on Sunday do. I completely understand. I completely see it, 
right? But fuck me, if they were putting my name on that, I'd have to. I I don't know if I'd, I'd be I'd be told no, man, don't 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 talk, don't bother, like you know, noticing a man. Do you keep doing you? But bro, I'd have to throw some heat at some point. I'd have to. It's just in my nature. I just have to throw heat at him. But um, yeah. But big up Marcus Rashford for just doing it eloquently, for just doing it in a simple tweet and keeping it moving. I respect that highly. And let's end it there, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth and Podcast Network. I am Charlie Terry. This has been what's good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Interlude music has been visited by Poldor. You can find both of their tunes via their own websites. In the full show notes. Thanks to Chop Records for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their entire bank uh, uh, discography. Yeah, is it bank app discography? Yep, entire bank app discography uh, in the full show notes. Uh, go peep their music. Call it them or them. And uh, with that said, yeah, pretty much done. Amazing episode. I've really enjoyed this one. Uh, hope you all have a great week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, fuck the mail on Sunday. Fuck the sun. Fuck all of them. Take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.